Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now we turn to the reading of the Hazard Herald for news of Hazard in Perry County. I'm Lee Townsend. We begin with the online edition, dated February 15th, 2024. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed materials. From page one, Hazard native Ben Fugit and his Burning Trash Band to celebrate album release with Hazard Show. Honky Tonk Country traditionalist and Appalachian singer-writer Ben Fugit and the Burning Trash Band released the first single, Dream Song Number 1, February 9th, off their new eight-song self-titled EP from Louisville-based Sonoblast Records, due out on Friday, April 12th, according to a statement from the band's management team. This album is a big departure from my garage days with just one mic, said Fugit, a native of Hazard. We aim to reflect our unique sound while drawing inspiration from country legends, and I believe we've captured that essence. Fugit first began amassing a sizable following on his TikTok channel in 2020 by just simply singing a number of classic country and southern rock song favorites along with a few of his originals. In 2021, Fugit released his debut EP by Sonderhouse, pronounced Appalachia, where the title track garnered more than 100,000 spins on Spotify, firmly solidifying a growing interest among his listeners and fans. In 2021, Fugit was discovered by Louisville-based entrepreneur, community organizer, filmmaker, and Sonoblast Records founder Gil Holland. Holland has played a role in the musical careers of other Kentucky recording artists like Jack Harlow and Ben Soley, the statement said, also saw the raw natural talent in the Appalachian country songwriter and invited him to Louisville's La La Land recording studio to bring his self-written song tales to pristine audio perfection. Fugit and his band will celebrate the release of the new EP with a series of shows in Kentucky. The first will be Thursday, April 11th, 7 p.m. at the Monarch Music and Arts Community, 1318 Bardstown Road in Louisville, and then on Friday, April 12th, 8 p.m. at the DFW Post 7387, 1700 North Main Street in Hazard, in his hometown. The following week, they'll perform on April 20th at Harlan County Beer Company, 120 East Central Street, Harlan. Admission is free and open to the public for these events. I'm thrilled to host these release shows in my hometown, Harlan and Louisville, Fugit said. Both Hazard and Louisville have been pivotal in our success, so it feels only fitting to bring the celebration to where it all began for us. In funding debate, local superintendent focused on education, not politics, by Russ Cassidy. One of the primary issues being dealt with by legislators in Frankfurt during this year's budget session is public education. Both Governor Andy Beshear and the GOP-dominated House 
have presented their own plans for how Kentucky schools should be funded for the next two years. And while negotiations continue, educators at the ground level say their focus is not on politics, but on students. Perry County School Superintendent Kent Campbell said he hopes whatever plan is put in place will help raise pay for school personnel and also change the way SEEK, Support Education Excellence in Kentucky funding, the primary state mechanism for school districts, is allocated. Teachers are professionals and want what is best for their students and the school. They deserve to be compensated as professionals, Campbell said. I think if this occurs, this would alleviate some recruitment and retention concerns. Perry County Schools, he said, is facing a concern with filling roles because there's a large number of teachers who will retire in the next several years. There are fewer people applying for open positions, so we have fewer candidates to choose from when filling job vacancies, he said. However, Campbell said the district is taking several steps to attempt to attract and retain teachers, including offering competitive wages, providing professional learning opportunities, providing new teachers with a mentor, and conducting new teacher academy to provide support to newly hired professionals. Campbell said increases in SEEK funding would help Perry County and districts across the state. Districts are losing staff members to retirement or other job opportunities that offer more competitive salaries, he said. In order to offer better compensation, we would have to seek a substantial increase in SEEK funding. The proposed increase in transportation funding and a $20,000 a school for SROs would be very beneficial also. However, Campbell said, a change in the way SEEK is allocated would also help school districts across the state. I would like to see SEEK funding based on enrollment rather than attendance, he said. We have to provide education services for every enrolled student, regardless of the student's attendance record. Campbell said party politics shouldn't matter when this comes to an issue. It's important to work together as a team, no matter what party affiliation you're with, he said. From what I've been hearing, I think everyone would agree that certified and classified staff need a significant raise. We just need the proper funding at the district level to make this a reality. Campbell said he's been in contact with Representative Chris Fugit, Republican from Chavez, who said he agrees that certified and classified employees deserve a raise. Through challenges, Hazard's Red Spotted Newt becomes a local and regional literary fixture by Justin Begley. When Mandy Scheffel opened a bookstore in Hazard in 2019, she could not have foreseen having to navigate a global pandemic as a new small business owner, nor having to deal in the ensuing years with some of the worst flooding the region has ever seen in generations. However, what she also would not have foreseen was that the Red Spotted Newt would quickly become a staple of downtown Hazard and a leading light of the area's literary scene, despite all these challenges. Scheffel said that when she moved from being a stay-at-home mom to opening the business where she never was had any doubt that it would be located in downtown Hazard. When the city put Bailey Richards in the position of downtown coordinator, she was reassured the city was dedicated to revitalization. There was also, she said, a desire to highlight the region's literary past and present. 
I went to the Appalachian Writers Workshop in the summer of 2019 at the Hyman School Settlement School and met a lot of Appalachian writers that were super talented. I realized there were no bookstores in eastern Kentucky that catered to the talent we have, Sheffield said. I've also been a lifelong reader, which I think is a given in order to do this work, and so it felt like it made sense, and this is what I needed to do. Originally, Sheffield opened the bookstore in a 250-square-foot space across from City Hall on Main Street. In that small space, I thought it would be a test run, Sheffield said. Bailey called it my food truck before my restaurant, and I liked that. It made sense to me. When COVID-19 and resulting business shutdowns came and challenges came about, Sheffield said the community's support carried her through. As soon as I opened there, I was shown an outpouring of support from the community, and then COVID hit. I thought that would be the end, but the community kept that from happening, she said. The community, she said, came to the store's salvation again as flooding struck in 2022. We had two feet of water, and I was very fortunate we didn't have any damage, Sheffield said. We did have to box all of those books up, and Betsy Clemens offered to let me store them in her office. I was back open in three days, thanks to the people in this community. While Sheffield said she originally also envisioned the business as a place from which she could work on the book she was writing, it also began to take on a life of its own as it gained wider recognition. It got legs regionally, Sheffield said. Most of central Appalachia is now aware of the store, especially in the literary community. Sheffield said the store totally changed her life. This has really jerked me out of my shell and shown me that this is my purpose. This is what I'm meant to do, or at least that's how I feel about it, Sheffield said. I have a lot on my plate, but this has never felt like work. I really and truly enjoy it, still four years later. Sheffield says she hopes the store continues to inspire and entertain the community as a versatile space. I hope that it inspires a younger generation of readers who start by coming here, she said. When I first opened, children were seven and eight years old. They're now 11 and 12 and still come into the bookstore, and they're reading different things, and I hope that continues. The pandemic wasn't the only trial for the bookstore, and Sheffield, like many others, faced the catastrophic uh, flooding event. Sheffield said the focus on the store keeps coming back to community. I hope that all of the people who have supported this bookstore in the community, who have taken this bookstore in, I hope they understand how grateful I am, she said. That I fully understand that a whole lot of this, and the reason it is what it is, is because of the community that supported it. It could have folded. It could have very easily folded. So I hope they understand this is a labor of love, and I feel like this is a community project. Red Spotted Newt's located at 221 Memorial Drive in Hazard. Finally, on page one, Perry Mann charged with trafficking methamphetamine. A Perry County man is facing felony charges after Hazard Police said they found him to be trafficking in methamphetamine. According to an arrest citation written by HPD Officer Michael Ritchie on February 8th, the uh, agency received a call reporting that a man had been passed out in a vehicle in the parking lot of Advanced Auto at Black Gold Court for more than two hours. Upon arrival, Ritchie wrote, he saw Gilbert L. White, 
41 of Big Willard Road, busy, asleep in the driver's seat of the vehicle. The officer wrote that he knocked on the window of the vehicle and woke White up, at which time he saw a syringe and plastic baggie sticking out of White's front jacket pocket. Ritchie wrote that White complied with the request to step out of the vehicle, at which time the officer discovered that the baggie contained a large amount of a white crystal-like substance. The citation said the officer also found a set of brass knuckles in White's pants pocket. White, the citation said, appeared to be manifestly under the influence, and he made a statement that he would have driven off if he would have been awake. The citation said Ritchie also found a loaded syringe in the vehicle. Just before placing White in his cruiser, Ritchie wrote, White made the statement that he was going to smoke Ritchie and other officers at a later date. White was lodged in the Kentucky River Regional Jail on charges of first-degree trafficking in a controlled substance, first carrying a concealed deadly weapon, first-degree possession of controlled substance unspecified, public intoxication, third-degree terroristic threatening, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Summit Church hosts Night to Shine by Justin Begley. The Night to Shine event, sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation, celebrated its 10th anniversary and fourth year in hazard with a prom for adults with disabilities. This year, the event was held at Summit Community Church, marking a change from its usual location at Hazard Community and Technical College. Event organizers, husband and wife team Joey and Cassandra Johnson, said the event was about giving opportunities. Johnson said this year's event welcomed attendees of all ages. It's usually for ages 14 and over, but we're such a small community, we didn't turn anyone away. If parents and guardians were with the students under 14, they were welcome, said Cassandra Johnson. According to Cassandra, executing the event takes months of planning. We first have to submit an application to the approved host at its summit, and once the Tim Tebow Foundation approves, we apply for a grant to help cover some of the costs, like catering and a limo ride, she said. As a special education teacher and former class case manager for adults with disabilities, Cassandra expressed the importance of creating special events for this community. They might not get the same opportunities most people do, and we want to see something special for them, Johnson said. Cassandra said the event aims to convey a message of love and acceptance. One of the main things we've discussed is to love God and love people, Cassandra said. Just love everybody. We're all made in God's image. It doesn't matter what you look like, what your appearance may be. We're all loved by God, and we should all show love to one another. This year's Night to Shine saw its largest turnout yet, according to Cassandra. This was the first one since the pandemic and probably the biggest one yet. We had close to 200 guests turn out, plus staff and friends and family who came out. It was an awesome time. We definitely will be planning another one for next year. Recent HCTC graduate received a Southeast Kentucky African American Museum and Cultural Center Award. The Southeast Kentucky Amer African American Museum and Cultural Center ordered Jamie Jones, Hazard Community and Technical College graduate, with its 2024 Martin Luther King Jr. Young Leader Spirit Award, according to a statement from HCTC. The statement said the Museum and Cultural Center aspires to explore, recover, and preserve 
the history and culture of African Americans in southeastern Kentucky and to display and share stories. The award seeks to recognize individuals who embody the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr., who was at the forefront of the civil rights movements of the 1960s. Jones is a first-generation college graduate who attributes her passion for community service and leadership to HCTC. Appalachian Regional Healthcare partnered with Anthem to sponsor a heart health awareness luncheon in promotion of American Heart Month for staff and faculty at Roy G. Eversole Elementary on February 12th. The event featured educational presentations on heart health and steps to maintain a healthy heart, along with on-site A1C and blood pressure screenings. A free lunch was provided by shenanigans. Hunting the Hunters by Devin Kidd It's hard to imagine, but once upon a time, mountain folks lived life in a frontier-like manner, living off the land and surviving by skill, determination, and sweat of their brow. One of the most famous bluegrass ancestors, Daniel Boone, lived some of his life in such a way. According to history, he entered this part of the world to explore new territory and investigate the area's wildlife. Although known more for his skills as a hunter and explorer, Mr. Boone also was known as a historic trapper as well. Trapping, along with trading and selling of furs, was one of Kentucky's original economic providers. Realistically, times have changed. We're now a spoiled people. We don't have to set a trap line and go a night without sleep, worrying if our families will be fed solely on the success of the trap line. However, I dare to say that trapping and predator hunting in general has a place in today's world, especially eastern Kentucky. The two predators commonly discussed throughout our region are coyotes and bobcats. According to the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, coyotes can be found in all 120 counties throughout the state, and bobcats are abundant throughout as well. This fact helps to paint a picture that should be all too clear. Population control for these critters is a must, for a variety of reasons. Speaking as a deer and turkey hunter, the impact of an uncontrolled coyote or bobcat population can be detrimental to both species. In addition, common sense tells us that if there's too many of any animal within a given area, a more competitive approach will be taken among the species, forcing them to expand their territories. This in turn leads to more sightings in city limits and around homes. Even those against the nature of hunting and trapping would agree that they'd rather not be welcomed at their front door by the sight of one of these canines or kitties. Having hunted the eastern Kentucky mountains from an early age, I've had a handful of experiences with these critters, and even though push never came to shove, the risk of unwanted occurrence of injury was very much present. Hamilton said people often make the false assumption that the coyote and bobcat populations are decreasing due to limited sightings and an increase in deer sightings. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there, he said. There are unreal hunters, and if they don't want to be seen, you're not going to see them. In case there's any doubt as to the need of trapping and predator hunting in the mountains of eastern Kentucky, the TLC's annual Dog Days of Winter Predator Tournament yielded 23 coyotes and 10 bobcats from February 9th to February 11th. 
Given the tournament's short time frame, it's safe to say that both species are plentiful throughout our region. Our main goal here is habitat preservation and wildlife management, said Trinity Shepherd, TLC's founder. From the opinion page, Shared Pain by Gus Cassidy. What's going on with the utilities and infrastructure in our little corner of Appalachia is incredibly nuanced and difficult to understand. But that's not something that matters when your water constantly cuts out, your roads develop potholes big enough to host a pay lake, and your power bill makes Amish lifestyle look pretty darn attractive. On February 7th, I attended my first meeting of the Mingo County, West Virginia Commission, analogous to fiscal court for you Kentucky and side readers. While I may have crossed the Tug River and the imaginary border it represents between Kentucky and West Virginia to attend the meeting, there was nothing unfamiliar about the discussion. Aside from the normal housekeeping issues, the meeting was punctuated by a number of residents, customers of Mingo County PSD, as they addressed the commission about their concerns about the quality of service they received. Again, it was familiar enough that I was able to anticipate what would be said before it was said. The PSD is suffering from a declining customer base, aging infrastructure. Over the years, like numerous other utility companies, both public and private, the Mingo PSD built out infrastructure to serve a certain number of customers. Each waterline project was set to go so to so many residents on a particular road or area. Over the last several years, thanks to a number of factors, the number of people living in those residences and paying bills to PSD has fallen as people leave the area to search for opportunity and older residents pass away and their homes are not reoccupied. The PSD, just like all those other utility companies, now has to maintain the same amount of infrastructure with even less money to maintain it. Add to that the fact that the Mingo PSD, in a not uncommon situation, has lost its sole industrial customer, which heavily impacts cash flowing in. Now, there may be other factors at play with Mingo's situation, and our reporters are going to dig in and find out what we can, but regardless of the other factors, these are problems all utilities share. The Mingo PSD now has a few choices. The district can seek a rate increase, which still has to be approved by the Public Service Commission. However, the people remaining aren't seeing massive increases in their incomes, especially the numerous people on fixed incomes. So it's a catch-22. Like many of the public water districts I've covered, the rate increases ultimately needed could be smaller but it's often easier for water district boards and the politicians who appoint them to not incrementally raise rates. Instead, they kick the can down the road until it's necessary to make a massive change. So what are the answers? Well, I don't know all of them, but there are a few things that have to occur. First, each and every utility that qualifies must apply for every possible grant and low-interest loan that can help them replace crumbling infrastructure and reduce factors like water loss and take action to get those things done as soon as possible. Using grants and loans can potentially help ease the burden on ratepayers. We have to get our local water districts across the county and even the state lines of communicating and cooperating.
Again, the decision and discussion at the Mingo County Commission was so familiar that I thought we had been transported back a decade to where I was covering mountain water districts every meeting and spending a lot of time inside combing through their financials, conducting in interviews, and further looking into what was going on there. The first step in solving a problem is often admitting it exists. In this case, we need to acknowledge the scope of the issue and that throughout this region, we're all facing it. Then we need to stop being so focused on these imaginary lines and begin focusing on what really matters, giving the people of this region the infrastructure and service that they deserve. Here are the obituaries. Christopher Joseph Abner, 37, of Buckhorn, died Wednesday, February 7th. Mike Whitaker, 51, of Big Creek, died Tuesday, February 6th. Naomi Cole, 82, of Buckhorn, passed away Sunday, February 4th. Enos Eugene Field, 79, of Hazard, died Saturday, February 10th. Stephen Paul Bingham, 67, of Busy, died Saturday, February 10th. Steve Howard, 65, of Hazard, died Monday, February 5th. Motorsports bill approved by State House. Legislation aimed at streamlining the permit approval process for racing events on state-maintained highways cleared the House February 8th. The bill, HB 29, sponsored by Representative Derek Lewis and co-sponsored by Representative Timmy Truitt, moves to the Senate for consideration. This measure, according to a statement from the Kentucky House Majority Caucus, would allow local governments to issue permits for racing events on state-maintained highways. Guest Editorial Kentucky Press Association Statement in Opposition to HB 509 For nearly 50 years, Kentucky has been a national leader in allowing its citizens to access government records. That legacy is due in large part to the broad and prescient definition of public records that's appeared in Kentucky's Open Records Act since its inception. In one fell swoop, HB 509 would eviscerate that legacy and leave Kentucky citizens largely unable to access records created by public officials and employees that serve them. This bill can only be described as an all-out assault on transparency and any person that cares about the power of the people to know what their government is up to must oppose this bill. The Kentucky Press Association strongly denounces it as unwise, unnecessary, and anti-democratic. From the sports page, shootout in Inez leaves Bulldogs with a loss. Tuesday night in Inez pitted two of the top coaches and boys teams in the mountains against each other as Jason James and his Martin County Cardinals played host to the legendary Al Holland and his Hazard Bulldogs. The game was a thriller, just like it was advertised to be. Martin County came out the winner 75-72 to over Hazard. Perry Central falls to Clay County. Hazard followed its big district clinching win over Perry Central with a 76-49 win over Powell County in the Bobby Bowen Classic, then fell to Clay County 63-51 and bounced back with a 74-44 win over Estill County. The Bulldogs also fell to Martin County Tuesday night. On the season, the Bulldogs' record is 22-4. and four. This concludes the reading of the Hazard Herald. Please stay tuned for continued programming. 
Thank you for joining me, and on behalf of everyone here at Radio I, this is Lee Townsend wishing you a good day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.